Listen to Ruckus Avenue Radio on dashradio.com and download the app today. Uh, A dualistic mind that people have downloaded throughout this 5,000 years approximately. And so I, I don't think it's, it's new. It's, it has a new, um, the, 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 this, this duality is not new, I would say. But it's not been there forever. There was a time before this when, when, when people, you know, more than 5,000 years ago, when people were more in some kind of a shamanic unity with, with all that is. Uh, and uh, in those days, people were not as divided. People were not engaged in, in warfare to the extent that they later came to be. And so I, I do think that um, we, we, the, the physics of these waves, in other words, some of them will bring duality to, them, to, to people. Others would bring unity. And I think that that distinction uh, is something that it p- explains very much how human history has changed. It, we are very different now from from 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago. Life itself could be considered a problem. Many of us think we know what we want and how we want to live. But it's often hard to survive in the modern world. And in trying to reach our goals, we may find obstacles in our way. The humanities provide the specifics, the ideas, the details that can give us an approach to living. They can help us find meaning and enjoyment in what we do. By the humanities, we mean those experiences we find in the arts, literature, philosophy, and history. An expression of the humanities may be a piece of music, a painting, a dance, or an idea. The humanities provide a versatile telescope for viewing the world. We can observe a wide spectrum of sights, a panoramic view, or we can zoom in on a single moment in history. We gain a better perspective on our own world. We become aware that while the exterior styles and structures of civilizations have changed radically, the interior, the human element, changes little. In a world dedicated to efficiency and productivity, a world obsessed with technology, the humanities help us to understand the kind of world we live in and the kind of life we really want. Automobiles, for example, bring people closer together and create thousands of jobs. But don't they also pollute the air we breathe and wind up in junk piles that ruin our landscapes? Can we build power plants to fulfill ever-increasing demands for energy without poisoning our environment and depleting our resources? Must the exciting urban areas we envision spawn slums as well as skyscrapers and make city dwellers strangers to one another? The humanities help reveal the paradoxes of modern life. They stand as a mirror. 
seeing ourselves in that mirror makes us aware that both our acts and our apathy have consequences, and that progress has its price. Unfortunately, in an unbridled rush to build modern towers of Babel, we have not responded often enough to basic questions that the humanities raise. Who am I? What is my purpose in living? Why do I act as I do? How else might I act? Dealing with such questions helps us face moral dilemmas.
might say things sound strange to you and I might preach the gospel I believe it's true I won't let nobody drag my spirit down yes I'm walking up to heaven people won't let nobody turn me around you might slip you might slide you might stumble and fall by the roadside but don't you ever let nobody drag your spirit down remember you walking up the heaven Don't let nobody turn you around Folks, that is so true. Don't ever let nobody drag your spirit down, especially in these hard times. Not just nobody or anybody, but don't let something, at least try not to let something drag you down. And isn't it not true? That is a beautiful way that I'm building into this positive message theme today of aesthetic sound waves. So, as I said... Before I get into that, though, folks, you are listening to A.S. Aesthetic Soundwaves. I am your host, Glass. Thank you for the tune-ins, everyone, everywhere. I'll get to shout-outs in a minute. 
but I'm looking at my list so I don't get confused today. But I'm telling you folks, this episode is made for the hard times we are all going through right now and hopefully to build ourselves up because it is so important that I un- I know you're sick of me saying it, but that we keep our heads up in these hard times and keep our minds clear for ourselves, for our families, etc., forth and so on. You know where I'm going, right? So I feel this is a very much needed episode today, built for that and for people going through a lot, in which we all are, right? So before I go any further, though, I need to look... <laughs> look at my notes. I need to give a special shout out to Ruckus Avenue Radio and, of course, Dash Radio for the association and sponsorship. Thank you so much, folks. Go check them out at www.ruckusavenueradio.com. That's Ruckus spelled R U K U S. And, of course, shout outs to the one and only Dilla's Delights in Detroit. Love and respect for the whole entire crew. They already know that, and and to the fam, and of course the one and only Dilla and Masimas. More, right? Enough can't be said, as I already say all the time. Speaking of Dillas, though, folks, I want you to stay up, stay tuned to the website for updates, things that are going on, right? But really, really good news is the fact that. We actually have shirts in stock now for with some merch. So we got coffee mugs, we got some fans, I believe, and we also got some new black and white shirts with the Dilla's Delights logo. Get them before they sell out, <laughs> which we have a tendency to sell out real quick uh, of our merch, and then we have to re-up. So folks, go get you some. Check them out at the Dilla's Delights website at dillasdelights.com. You won't regret it, okay? Let's get into the country shout-outs, though. Brazil, Canada, California, Idaho, North Carolina, Louisiana, Washington, Michigan, and, of course, the one and only city of Detroit. Thank you so much for the love and respect that I get here and in hope I give it back in return. So uh, much appreciation and one love, right? So... <laughs> I already stated the intentional nature of this show today. So what I'm going to do is, as most of you folks know out there, I like to read a lot, and I also like to listen to a lot of music. It's mainly my life, right? I don't really... I tune into the outside world a lot. I am a political guy, but to be honest with you, I've been avoiding it a lot, but not on purpose, because I can tell... Well, that you know what? I digress. Uh, right now in these hard times, it's important that we all, as I said, keep our heads clear and keep it right for us and not always let outside influences mess with us, is what I'm saying, right? So without me waxing any more intellectual about it, I'm just going to get into something. I've been reading, I always read a lot, but since this pandemic, I've been banging out books like nothing and things I've read before, things I haven't, and this is just going to go straight into some thought. Because I think we all out there in this entire universe and world sometimes either need to hear it, read it, or however we get it. We need to have some source of comfort from others or other things that 
make us realize the importance of us, importance of our minds, and to enlighten us more. So, <laughs> let's get into this. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to get into the next song. I'm going to read a section out of Seneca, all right? On the shortness of life, Life is Long, if you know how to use it, by Penguin's Books, published in 1997. Obviously, Seneca, famous philosopher, right? But this is from the chapter on tranquility of mind. So, let me just turn to the page and give you these, uh, marinate on this. <clears throat> Open quote. But when something has assailed my mind, which is not used to being battered. Oh, by the way, backtrack. This is Serenus speaking to his friend, Seneca. But when something has assailed my mind, which is not used to being battered, when something has happened, which either is unworthy of me, a common experience in every human life, or cannot easily be dealt with, when unimportant things become time-consuming, I take refuge in leisure, and just like the weary flock of animals, I make my way more quickly home. I decide to restrict my life within its walls, saying, Let no one rob me of a single day who is not going to make me an adequate return for such a loss. Let me mind be fixed on itself, cultivate itself, have no external interest, nothing that seeks the approval of another. Let it cherish the tranquility that has no part in public or private concerns. Dig, dig, dig. So, I'm going to get into the next song, and I'll, we're going to keep going with this. Next song is Spirit of the Flute by Earth's Echo. It's off the album Native American Flute. I'll be back with you folks in a second.
and now you guys get the feel of where I'm going, right? So, I forgot something real quick. It's typical of me to always forget something when I'm speaking, especially when I'm recording any time. I get nervous, but either way, I'm not afraid to admit that, but it doesn't mean you don't have confidence, right? It's just too many things on the mind. Anyway, that beginning intro song was Eric Bibb, right? Don't ever let nobody drag your spirit down. And that was off the album Molly to Memphis off the Putumayo label series, Good World Music series. So I correct myself, folks. Now, let me get back to point, right? <laughs> I'm just going to get straight into this inspirational section I read sometime, I don't know, a few months back now I've, I've had this book. Anyway, this next part I'm reading is coming out of a book called Perfect Symmetry, The Search for the Beginning of Time by Heinz R. Pagels. Uh, the Bantam Books, 1985, and this comes from Section 2 of Chapter 2, entitled Fields, Quanta, and Symmetry. I'm not going to get too deep on this. I just want to straight out get into it. And very inspirational for those who have doubt within themselves. Let's put it that way. So let me start this. Open quote. Werner Heisenberg, a student of the physicist Arnold Sommerfeld in Munich, Germany, got his doctoral degree in 1924. But before his degree in mathematical physics was actually awarded, he had to take the required oral exam, usually regarded as a ritual formality. But in fact, the last chance for a physics faculty to deny a student entry into its professional tribe. There happened at the time to be a running feud between Summerfield and another faculty member. And it is often the case in such disputes that one faculty member will try to embarrass the other by picking on his students. Heisenberg, in his oral exam, was asked by Summerfield's antagonistic colleague to calculate the resolving power of a microscope, an elementary calculation if you know a little optics. Heisenberg, genius that he was, could not do the calculation because he didn't know the physical properties involved, much to the embarrassment of Summerfield. Heisenberg got his degree, but was denied the full honors that normally would have been his. He was admonished to study optics, a boring subject for someone who, with Heisenberg's interests. But this story has a sequel. A year later, in 1925, Heisenberg invented matrix mechanics, the first step toward the new quantum theory of atoms, later working with Max Born and Pascal Jordan in Goddington. He was devised a complete version of the new quantum theory a new dynamics which could be applied to calculation of the properties of atoms just as Newton's mechanics had been used to calculate the orbits of the planets. Although quantum mechanics, as it was later called, agreed magnificently with the experiment, its creators had difficulty in interpreting it as a picture of reality. The simple visual picture of material reality that, no that one gets from the old Newtonian mechanics planets orbiting the sun or the motion of billiard balls has no analog in quantum mechanics. The visual conventions of our ordinary experience are not applicable to the micro world of atoms, and one must try to understand that world in another way. Heisenberg and Niels Bohr 
struggled to find a new framework for thinking about the quantum world that would accord with the new quantum mechanics. Through his attempt to solve these interpretive problems, Heisenberg discovered the uncertainty principle, a principle that revolved, revealed excuse me, a profound feature of quantum mechanics not found in Newtonian mechanics. According to the uncertainty principle, certain pairs of physical variables, like the position and monumentum, the mass times velocity of a particle, cannot be measured simultaneously with arbitrary precision. For example, if one repeats the measurement of the position and momentum of single quantum particles and electrons, say, one finds that the measurements fluctuate about average values. These fluctu fluctuations are then a measure of our uncertainty in determining the position or monumentum. The uncertainty principle asserts that the product of these uncertainties and the measurements cannot be reduced to zero. If electron obeyed the laws of Newtonian mechanics, then the uncertainties could be reduced to zero, and the electron's po position and monumentum could be determined precisely. But unlikely Newtonian mechanics, quantum mechanics allows us to know only a probability distribution of these measurements. It is inherently statistical. The way that Heisenberg illustrated this remarkable uncertainty principle was by considering the resolving power of a microscope, the very problem he botched on his oral exam. Suppose you look at a tiny particle under a microscope, light strikes a particle and is scattered into the optical system of the microscope. For a specified optical system, the resolving power of the microscope, the smallest distances it can distinguish, is limited by the wavelength of the light used. Clearly, one cannot see a particle and determine its position to a distance that is smaller than the wavelength. The longer wavelength, the light bent just bends around the particle and is not significantly scattered. Hence, to establish the position of the particle to very high precision, we must use the light of an extremely short wavelength, at least shorter than the size of the particle. But as Heisenberg realized, light can also be th thought of as a stream of particles, quanta of light called photons, and the monumentum of a photon is inversely proportional to its wavelength. Thus, the shorter the wavelength of light, the greater the monumentum of its corresponding photons. If, short, if a short wavelength, high monumentum photon hits the particle under the microscope, imparts some of its monumentum to the particle, then causes it to move, thus creates an uncertainty in our knowledge of its monumentum. The shorter we make the wavelength of the light, the better we know the position of the particle. But then, the less certain we are about its final monumentum. Conversely, if we sacrifice our knowledge of the particle's position and use longer wavelength light, then we can establish its monumentum with greater uncertainty. But if quantum mechanics is correct, we cannot determine with absolute precision both the particle's position and its monumentum. The Heisenberg microscope, as this device was later called, illustrated the physical basis of the uncertainty principle. Heisenberg probably would have discovered his, uh, his, uncertain, 
in his uncertainty principle if he had never been required to study optics. But without the embarrassment at his order exam, it is unlikely that he would have recalled such a simple, physically intuitive illustration of his mathematical ideas. The invention of the Heisenberg microscope illustrates the creative power of genius to turn its defeats into victories of another kind. Close quote. So, basically, folks, in life, this is the beauty of this. We get up, or we get knocked down, and then we get back up. It's just like a, it's just like boxing, right? Get, get, get knocked down and get back up. Always the same thing, right? We make mistakes, whatever it is. There's a beauty in learning from things that knock us around. So almost to the point of where we need to just be, don't let whatever gets us going, don't let it be the downfall of us. Let it be the uprising of us, so to speak. So that being said, I'm going to get into the next song and feel the flow of this. Okay. The title of the song is called Eminent Rain. The artist is Maria Kalfa de Paul off the album Out from the Shadows, Native American Flute, and more. I'll be back with you folks in a second.
cool bit there. Cool bit. That that album's very interesting actually. It's if you like that, I'd say go on Bandcamp and definitely buy that album by Maria Calfa de Paul, Out from the Shadows. It's worth it. And the way she produces, I I really admire it. So what she did is she recorded in, in the environment in which is in. So the sounds you're hearing come from outside that she recorded off her iPhone and a few things mixed together herself. Not obviously a big production. Sounds like it. And very well engineered on that level. But moral of story is the minimalist nature of how it was done is respectable. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> so what I'm going to do here is this is just all random thoughts here I'm going to be reading from this next thing. And like I've been saying, this is all just, this episode today is about positive messages and or just messages, if not positive, but things to make one think and bring themselves up. Okay? So this next book I'm reading out of is entitled The Fabric of the Cosmos, Space, Time, the Texture of Reality by Brian Greene. Vintage Books, published 2004. I'm just going to get into it. and These are shorter now. Some of them are highlighted more than others, and I have to flip through. <laughs> so, which is a lot of them. But these are things that got me to thinking. So I'm jumping all over this book, which is, man, almost... 500 pages, but don't worry, I took almost all the research done for you and I'm jumping through this book with short entitled things. Shut up class, let's read, right? <laughs> okay, so, <clears throat> this comes from a section called The World According to Quantum. There is no single preferred universal clock. There is no consistence on what constitutes a moment what constitutes a now. Even so, you can still tell a clockwork-like story about the evolving universe. The clock is your clock. The story is your story. But the universe unfolds with the same regularity and predictability as in the Newtonian framework. Quantum mechanics breaks with this tradition. We can't ever know the exact location and the exact velocity of even a single particle. We can't predict with total certainty the outcome of even the simplest of experiments, let alone the evolution of entire cosmos. Quantum mechanics shows that the best we can ever do is predict the probability that an experiment will turn out this way or that. Interruption here, real quick. Folks, a lot of times, kind of like the Tibetan Book of the Dead, you know, that's usually meant to be read, obviously, to people passing away or who had been or he passed away, right? But the other point of uh, that, that piece of literature is also meant to put it towards one's life so they can enlighten themselves more, right? Same thing here. I'm just tossing you guys out some science and some things that make sense on a uh, metaphysical level. I guess, so to speak. Anyway, back to reading, okay? <laughs> Open quote again. Space, whatever it is fundamentally, provides the medium that separates and distinguishes one object from another. 
to be sure, if we are over here, we can influence someone over there. But no matter how we do it, the procedure always involves someone or something traveling from here to there. And only when someone or something gets there can the influence be exerted. Physicists call this feature of the universe locality, emphasizing the point that you can directly affect only things that are next to you, that are local. The intuitive reason that even though the two photons are spatially separate, their common origin establishes a fundamental link between them. Although they speed away from each other and become spatially separate, their history intertwines them. Even when distant, they are still part of one physical system. And so, it's really not that a measurement on one photon forces or compels another distant photon to take on identical properties. Rather, the two photons are so intimately bound up that it's just justified to consider them, even though they are spatially separate, as part of one physical entity. First, entropy is a measure of the amount of disorder in a physical system. High entropy means that many rearrangements of the ingredients making up the system would go unnoticed. And this, and this in turn, means the system is highly disordered. Low entropy means that very few rearrangements would go unnoticed and this in turn means the system is highly ordered. Second, in physical systems with many constituents, for example, or for instance, books with many pages being tossed in the air, there is a natural evolution toward greater disorder since disorder can be achieved in so many more ways than order. In the language of entropy, this is a statement that physical systems tend to evolve towards states of higher entropy. High entropy is the natural state of being. You should never be surprised by or feel the need to explain why any physical system is in a high entropy state. Such states are the norm. On the contrary, what does need explaining is why any given physical system is in a state of order, a state of low entropy. These states are not the norm. They can certainly happen. But from the viewpoint of entropy, such ordered states are rare aberrations that cry out for explanation. This next part goes from a section called Symmetry in Time. To paraphrase John Wheeler, time is nature's way of keeping everything, all change that is, from happening all at once. But regardless of the metaphor, Chapter 5's lessons is that, the, is that moments, the events making up the space-time loaf, just are. They are timeless. Each moment, each event or happening exists, just as each point in space exists. Moments don't momentarily come to life when illuminated by the spotlight of an observer's present. That imagine aligns well with our intuition, but fails to stand up to logical analysis. Instead, once illuminated, always illuminated. Moments don't change. Let me go back to that. Moments don't change. Moments are. Being illuminated is simply one of the many unchanging features that constitute a moment. If you time travel to the past, you can't change it anymore, then you can change the value of pi. If you travel to the past, you are, will be, and always were part of the past. The very same past that leads to your traveling to it. Definition of free energy. 
Intuitively, free energy is that part of a system's energy that can be harnessed to do work. And that, folks, is short quotations. I hope that gave the mind some thinking, helped some people, right? More to come on this. I'm not even going to say anymore. Let's get into the next song, and uh, I will be back with that. But it's called Danza Azteca. It's Los Gucharacos off the album South American Flute, La Flute Indiana, and that's off the Barclay label. I'll be back with you in a second. I'm digging the flow today. I'm digging the flow of this. Let's just keep going, right? So I'm just going to read my last, at least, re read of the day to you guys. And this comes out of, once again, uh, I've read this a few times this season just because it's an interesting novel, very interesting. But Age of Empire, it's 1875 to 1914, written by Eric Hobsbawm, and it's published by Abacus Books in 1987. And this is actually the very last few paragraphs or basically the conclusion of the novel. And I want to read it to you because, well, let's get into it. <clears throat> Open quote. Is there still room for the greatest of all hopes, that of creating a world in which free men and women emancipated from fear and material need We'll live the good life together in a good society. Why not? The 19th century taught us that the desire for the perfect society is not satisfied by some predetermined design for living, Mormon, Owenite, or whatever. We may suspect that even if such a new design were to be in shape of the future, who would not know or be able to today determine what it would be? The function of the search for the perfect society is not to bring history to a stop, 
but to open its unknown and unknowable possibilities to all men and women. In this sense, the road to utopia, fortunately for the human race, is not blocked. But as we know, it can be blocked by universal destruction, by a return to barbarianism, by the dissolution of the hopes and values to which the 19th century aspired. The 20th has taught us that these things are possible. History, the presiding divinity of both centuries, no longer gives us, as men and women used to think, the firm guarantee that humanity would travel into a promised land, whatever exactly this was supposed to be. Still, less that they would reach, out, reach it. It could come out differently. We know that it can because we live in a world of achievements where there are not and was then expected or dreamed. But... If we can no longer believe that history guarantees us the right the, uh, of the outcome, neither does it guarantee us the wrong one. It offers the option, without any clear estimate of the probability of our choice, the evidence that the world in the 21st century will be better is not negligible. If the world succeeds in destroying itself, the probability will be quite strong, but will not amount to certainty. The only certain thing about the future is that it will surprise even those who have seen furthest into it. Close quote. And, folks, that boils down everything that I've been saying today. We don't know what's coming, you know. The universe tells us what to do. We don't tell it what to do, basically. I'm not going to go any more on that. Which actually leads me to, I'm reading my notes here. Yep. Okay. So my final thoughts for the day. And what I'm going to do here is just basically, so the title of this episode is entitled Benches. This actually is, I got this from my last job, which I was at a few months ago. I'm not there anymore. Shout out to the crew I I worked with over there. They were actually the ones to give me this idea. The point is this. Just like a workbench, right? Where we were working, we're, we're, mold, we're <laughs> we are forming breads, but we're in a work table, and we're all working together. We're conversing with each other, right? Thoughts, ideas, we're just speaking with each other, whatever it might be. And just like these messages I'm sending out to you, it's benches are an interesting idea very very interesting idea because benches are not a specific thing in particularly in one size shape or whatever but benches are where i guess in some ideas where ideas and people meet where our minds basically meld together right and where we come together as one as a people regardless of our differences sometimes right and most importantly, in these times, benches are like the communication level, right? We need to communicate with each other. We need to talk to each other and or help each other bring our, each other up, you know. Easier said than done, but we need to do it. So I remember I'm holding, I'm looking at my cell phone here because this thought hit me and then I put it in. But here's basically what I did is... I, I, I put this in my cell phone as, with notes. It says, benches are not just physical objects. They are mental ideas, too. Ideas don't stop at the bench. Benches are anything. 
and everywhere. It's all how we perceive them. And this is not in the notes, but it's all how we use them too. So what I'm saying is, let's all be benches to each other. That's, in essence, the moral of the message there. But a good episode of positive message today. And I hope everybody enjoyed it, that maybe uh, something was said or something could be passed down in whatever positive manner that can bring up our next bread and our cistern out there. Okay? So, that being said, I think I'm running low on time today, folks. But I'm, I want to get my contact info out, but I'm going to do that next episode. Let's end this episode on a good note, okay? Let's end it being that I am sponsored by the one and only Dilla's Delights. Let's end this with the Dilla song today. The title of the song is called Trashy, far from it, obviously. But it's off the album Unreleased Volume 2, Vintage, right? You already know that's one of my favorites. So I'm just going to take it out like that today. Folks, keep your heads up and, you know, let's lift each other up. All I can say. Be safe, take care of yourselves, and till next wave, this is your man Glass signing out. One love. Peace.
What up, what up, planet Earth? Uh, I be that man nostalgic, the MC out of Chicago, Illinois, the Windy City. I'm here with my man Glass. It's cold out here. Repping the world famous aesthetic sound waves. Hey. And we are here to let y'all know that from Detroit to Chicago, Chicago to Detroit, we'll be doing some special things. Keep your ears tuned. See y'all. Peace. I understand. And the strangers? The strangers. Oh, yes. I will tell you how to deal with them if they Visit RuckusAvenueRadio.com for our station schedule and much, much more.